song, that is always a hymn, or that is a hymn I always enjoy. Um, I'm not that musically gifted as you all know very well, and many hymns I, I don't know all that well either, but that is one that I always enjoy singing. It is so fitting. It is so fitting, especially not just on a Thanksgiving, but on every Lord's Day morning and on every morning. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'd open them to John, the Gospel of John, we will once again be continuing our exposition through the Gospel of John. Today finds us in the 12th chapter, starting at verse 27. John chapter 12, verse 27 through verse 36. And God's inspired word reads, Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said to them, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard that out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of Your Word. And now as, <clears throat> as we spend the next half hour um, looking at them and um, adding some thoughts to them, Father, I just pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would illuminate this text for us. Help us to understand it, but not only understand it, but help us to know how to apply it uh, to our daily lives. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who is this Son of Man? Why do we ask questions? To get answers. Sometimes. Other times we ask questions to push back as a way of disagreeing with the, what is before us. We also ask questions which we know will not or cannot be answered. But we ask them anyways because we don't know what else to do. It's how we wrestle with the situation that is before us. We have both types of questioners in our text this morning. We have the self-righteous religious people asking a question in a way of pushing back, unwilling to accept the obvious that is before them. And we have Jesus asking a question in a way of wrestling with a situation that lies before Him. And in His own words, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Oh, but only if it was for just one hour. So this morning, I have uh, three headings to place before you, three, 
points, if you will, to place before you this morning. And the first is found in verses uh, 27 through verse 30. And it's just simply Jesus wrestles with what lies ahead. The second is in verses 31 through 34, and its clarity comes out of wrestling. In verses 35 through 36a, out of wrestling and out of clarity leads to a plan, leading to a plan of action. Leading to a plan of action. So those three headings we'll touch on a little bit at the end, but first... First, I want to start with verse 34. And I want to jump right down to verse 34 where my title of this morning's sermon comes from. Verse 34, While the crowd then answered Him, We have heard out of the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? I want to look at this little phrase here. First, we want to start out with the we. And the we is the Jewish people. These self-righteous religious people, as I like to call them, because they were always all Jewish people. They're the self-righteous religious people is, is who the we are. And they're saying that, hey, we have been taught that the Messiah will live forever. Before we could even talk, we were memorizing Bible verses. Maybe you've been there. Maybe that's what you think through your Sunday school class, through your through school, if you went to Holly Grove or another Christian school, or maybe in your own home life. You were memorizing Bible verses. You've known you went to Bible school. You went to Sunday school. You went to church every single Sunday morning. And you sat there. You know the Scriptures inside and out. That's who these self-righteous religious people were. They say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We know our Bible. We know what our Bible says. We know what the text says. And the text says that the Messiah is going to live forever. But you... The second word, both the we and the you are emphatic. So, But you, Jesus, you seem to be saying something else. You are saying that the Messiah must die on the cross. And we know that that is not what the Bible teaches. We know that that's not what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus, where do you get your learning from? Who taught you? They often challenge Jesus' education, as we see in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, of just such another instance, as Jesus went out from there and He came into His own hometown, and His disciples followed Him. And when the Sabbath came, He went and began teaching in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things from? And what is this wisdom given to him? and such miracles as these performed by His hands. Is this not the carpenter's son? Don't we know his mother Mary? Don't we know his brother, his sisters? Don't we know his dad? I mean, we grew up with this guy. Who does this guy think he is coming in here and wanting to teach us and tell us that the Messiah, who he claims to be, is going to die? Is going to die. That's in essence what he's saying. You haven't even had any... You've never even been to seminary, Jesus. So what do you know? You don't know anything. (laughs) Well, I think we can learn a lesson from this exchange here this morning. You might have heard the little phrase, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. If you heard that, and if that's your approach, then I want to inform you this morning that that is a (laughs) non-answer. This is an arrogant answer. This is a lazy answer. 
So you hear me say it over and over and over again. It is not good enough to know what you believe. You must know why you believe it. And just to say the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it, well, that's great if that's your approach. That is certainly my approach, but I did not get there by being lazy. I did not get there blindly. So I want to encourage you this morning, and I want to challenge you this morning to spend time in your Word, to spend time with the Bible, to spend time reading good books, good Christian books, so that you can shore up and solidify your faith and so that you can not only know what it is that you believe. As Christian people, we're really good at telling others what we believe, but we're not so good maybe to be able to express why why we believe it. And so I want to encourage you this morning to be able to do that. Because see, that's the challenge that these self-righteous religious people here said. And I'm not calling you self-righteous. I just hate to say that's what the Jewish people are saying because that's it's the self-righteous religious people that were saying this. And, and, and so they're saying that the Messiah is going to live forever. Well, that is true, but we'll also through the, see the, through the text this morning, if they had really known it, and if they had really taken their blinders off, that it also says that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Now, when it says Son of Man lifted up, that, that automatically they understood that was crucifixion. I mean, the execution method of their day, the preferred method, at least of the Romans especially, was that they would lift them up off the earth. And the pagan rituals of the day also was to say, hey, if a, if a soul dies, if a person dies, it is his feet on the earth, that can curse the earth, so let's put him on the cross. So he's dies, he's suspended between the earth and the heaven, and his soul is aimlessly wandering around. And so this idea of being lifted up, they understood that to mean crucified. He's lifted up upon the cross. And so here Jesus is saying, I'm going to be lifted up. And they're saying, no, 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 you're not the Messiah, because it says, huh. The Messiah is going to live with the other. So, Jesus, explain yourself. Who is this Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man? But Jesus never used the term Son of Man in verse 32. See, in, in verse 32 it says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, all peoples, to Myself. Jesus never said in this verse or this uh, a unit of, uh, of uh, or this paragraph, he, he never said that I'm the Son of Man. So, so where did they get this from? Well, either Jesus went around saying the Son of Man must be lifted up. Obviously, that was just a synonymous with him almost. He always said it. Or, or Jesus often referred to himself as Son of Man. Because that's certainly what they applied to them. Who or what kind of person are you claiming to be? You are calling yourself Son of Man. And yet at the same time, saying you are going to be crucified. Do you really expect us to believe that a person who is crucified in such a horrible way is actually the Messiah? You are claiming to be the Messiah, and you are claiming that you are going to die. You are going to be crucified. How do you reconcile this contradiction. Hmm? How, how do you reconcile this contradiction? Well, J.C. Rao, uh, he put it this way. He said, it, it is the old story over again. The Jews could not and would not understand that Messiah was to suffer as well as to reign, to die as a sacrifice as well as to appear in glory. They could not and would not see that the two things could be reconciled. 
and could meet in one person. Hence their perplexity exhibited in the question of the text. And that is the question I want to turn to now. Who is this Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man? And again, I want to start with the first word of the question, and that is who? Who is talking about a specific person? It's not just anybody, but it is a specific person that they have in mind here. And it's not just anybody, but it's this person. So it's a specific person, person, and it pointed to a specific person. They had someone in mind. This is not a question, who is a son of man? They didn't ask, who is a son of man? They didn't ask, who is the son of man? They asked Jesus, who is this son of man? And my point to that is that, in essence, they understood that Jesus was saying He is the Messiah, He is the Son of Man, and and, and these these self-righteous religious people, they understood that the Son of Man is the Messiah, and so therefore they're saying, well, it's not the same Messiah that we worship, it's not the same Messiah that we're expecting to come for the first advent. And so who is this Messiah? Who is this God? Who is this Savior? Who is this Christ that you're speaking of? That you're speaking of? Well, as I love to do, I like to take that little phrase of Son of Man, put it into my search engine and see what spits out. And this is what I found. Son of Man is used 108 times. That exact phrase, Son of Man, is used 108 times in the Old Testament. Only one time does it actually point to deity. All the other times it's in reference as to you and I. We're sons and daughters of, of a human, right? We're sons and daughters of man, right? And so Ezekiel, I found this interesting. I'm kind of nerdy this way, I guess, but Ezekiel uses it 93 times. 93 times God is often calling the prophet Ezekiel son of man in all lowercase, of course, just referring to as man, referring to him as a, as a, as a person. So maybe they had Ezekiel in mind because they heard son of man But where did they get this Son of Man that this Son of Man was going to be the Messiah? See, this is the connection that in 2020 that we needed to go back across the hermeneutical bridge, back to their day, and and see what it meant then, and then come across to our day today and see, okay, now how do we apply it today, right? So we first got to see what did they understand? Only one time in all of the Jewish Bible, in all the Old Testament, was Son of Man used in a sense of, of deity. And that is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And you probably already know that. You're, you're way ahead of me this morning. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, is the only place that Son of Man is used in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Scriptures, in the Torah, of speaking to deity. Now, um, in the New Testament... In the New Testament, the phrase Son of Man is used 88 times. And for what it's worth, I found it interesting that it's only one time referred to non-deity. So it's just just reversed, and I don't think it means anything, but it's just an interesting little piece of trivia, I guess, if you want to use it as such, that I discovered. But only one time does the New Testament refer to Son of Man other than Deity, other than, than, than God. 71 times the phrase Son of Man, all referring to deity, or referring to the Messiah, the Christ, 
71 times in the Synoptic Gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So 71 times. One time in Acts, one time in Hebrews, which is found on the psalm that I read this morning for our call to worship, and that's the only time that it's referred to to non-deity. Two times in Revelation, Son of Man is referred to referencing Jesus. So it's certainly a New Testament term that we have for us today. And so therefore, maybe it's hard for us to get into the minds of the original hearers. What did they hear? Where did they get this idea of Son of Man from? And so we're going to have to go back here this morning, and we're going to have to look at the only place in their Scriptures that they found it. And that is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And I just want to spend a little bit of time this morning in walking through that whole chapter, and I think you'll find it profitable for you. But in Daniel chapter 13... Uh, you're quite familiar with that. And, and this is the second half of Daniel where it's now turning into apocalyptic literature. Uh, and so Daniel's letter here has taken a turn and it's becoming apocalyptic. It's becoming something in the, in the future. And so here Daniel says that in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and a vision in his mind as he lay in his bed and he wrote down the dream. He wrote it down, and this is the summary of the dream, Daniel says. He says, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds, just a, a number of completion, uh, north, south, east, west, and the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Uh, uh, great sea, just uh, unrest. It's, it's just the, all those uncertainties and things like that that are out there. And I it was stirring up the great sea, and out of this sea, and out of them came four great beasts that were coming out of this sea, and from different, they all were different from one another. And so he goes through these. The first was like a lion, and it had wings like an eagle. And I kept looking, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up. It was killed. It was destroyed. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet uh, like a man in human mind was given to it. This is the kingdom of Babylon. And so the second, it says, then in another beast just like it, the second, the, Mer, the, the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, one resembling a bear, and it rose up, and, and it had three ribs and a mouth and its teeth, and, and it rise and devour much meat. And after this, I kept looking, and behold, the third beast stood up, and this was Greece. This was the country of Greece. And another one like a leopard, which had its back on uh, four wings and birds, and the beast had four heads, and the dominion was given it. A kingdom was given to this this beast, the, the Greece. It was given to the kingdom of Greece. And then, after this, see here it comes. After this, I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast. This is the Roman Empire. A fourth beast rose up. It was dreadful. It was terrifying. It was extremely strong. And it had large teeth. And it devoured, and it crushed, and it trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the other beasts that were before it because it had ten horns. And I'm not going to get into all that because I just want to do an overview of this chapter this morning. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, this little guy rose up, came up among them, and, and the three of the first horns, they were pulled out by its roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed the eyes of a human and a man and the mouth, uttering great boasts. Then Daniel says, I kept looking until thorn or thrones, and this is one part, pay attention. So until thrones were set up, 
in the ancient of days, God, in the ancient of days, took his seat. See, there was a problem with this fourth beast. And now, now we're going to get into the solution of the problem that came before. In the ancient of days, took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, pure. His hair like pure wool. His throne was a blaze of fire. Its wheels were burning with fire. A river of fire was flowing, and it came <clears throat> coming out of him before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads, uncountable, were standing before him. The court sat. The court sat, and the books were opened. Then Daniel says, I kept looking because the sound of this little guy, the sound of this boastful words from that horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain. His body was destroyed, given to the burning fire. As the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. But an extension of time was given, was granted to them. And just as a little footnote, I want you to hear those words. A extension of time was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Who granted them that time? God. God is in control of the whole situation. Then I kept looking up in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of the sun, one like the Son of Man was coming. Finally, we get here. One like the Son of Man. Now, this is deity. This is Jesus. This is a, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah to come, was coming. And He came up to God. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him, we're going somewhere, and to Him, a dominion was given. Glory and a kingdom, and all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, right? Which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. See, see, see the problem that these self-righteous religious people are having here? Are you making the connection? As for me, Daniel says, hey, <laughs> I was deeply distressed. I could imagine so. And then he kept watching in this four great peace, and it just keeps going on. But I want to jump down to verse 21. I kept looking, and that horn, that little guy, he was waging war with the saints, and he was overpowering them until the Ancient of Days, until God came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints, of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of that kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast in the fourth kingdom on the earth. It just continues. But I want to jump down to verse 25. He will speak out against, this guy will speak out against the Most High. He'll wear down the saints of the highest ones. He will intend to make alterations in the law, and they will be given into his hands for a time, a times, and a half time, but, but the courts will sit in judgment and his dominion will be taken away and annihilated and destroyed forever. Then sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole earth will be given to the peoples of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom, here we go again, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions will serve and obey him, this son of man. At this point, 
The revelation ended, Daniel says. As for me, my thoughts were great alarming. (laughs) I can imagine. And my face grew pale. I can imagine. But he says, I kept, I kept the matter to myself. See, this, I took a little time there, but, but, but this is the context. It is in this role, it is only this thought that they understood when Jesus was saying, Son of Man. It was this figure, it was this event, it was this vision, it was this prophecy that they knew from their Bibles that they learned since they were a wee little lad growing up in church. And this is how they said, and now Jesus is saying, so Jesus, you're calling yourself Son of Man. Explain yourself. What they're saying, right? Explain yourself. How will you save the world? Which is what Daniel is saying, which is the prophecy that they knew. They knew. How will you save the world if you are lifted up? If you are crucified, how then Are you going to save the world? Well, for us today, then, that's the context then. So let's come back across the bridge and come to 2020. And so what did Jesus mean then by Son of Man? What did He mean? It's a fair question to ask of Jesus. And so we could spend a lot, a lot of time, which which I had the privilege of doing this week, but I'm just going to look at John's Gospel for you. So in John's Gospel... When Jesus calls Himself or or references the Son of Man, what did Jesus claim? What did He mean? Five. I have five claims, quickly, that Jesus is claiming. First, Son of Man is preexistent. Jesus claims the Son of Man to be preexistent. Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus. See, often we think about the birth of Jesus and Christmas is coming up as I was reminded so rudely this morning as I drove to church hearing Christmas songs. Uh, Christmas is coming. That is not not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven, but He, capital H, He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus says, that's Him, right? I, I, I... You can't go back to heaven. Only the person who came from there can can go back to heaven. That's what he's saying. I was forever. And Jesus also says that. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending before he was before? Look, if it's just going to offend you that I'm going to be lifted up, then then how about I just go back to where I came before and and you all offend for yourself, right? That's in essence what he's saying. If you're so offended by that, I'll just go back to where I came from. So so it's preexistent. Jesus claims to be preexistent. Second, Son of Man will experience humiliation and death. And this is the problem. And this is also the problem for many Christians today. Is, is, is this, this, this emphasis of humiliation and death upon Jesus. And that's what we're going to get to this morning. And that's what we're going to remember this morning as we come to the Lord's table. But, but I just want to say what Jesus said. Now, I'm not making up the things. This is Jesus' words. Jesus said, as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Again, lifted up is crucified. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will have life in His name, will have eternal life. And Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift me up, when you crucify me, then you will know that I am He. Again, it's a bit problematic, isn't it? So when you're crucified, then I'm going to know that you are He, that I am who I am, that I am God. Jesus also said, or actually He prayed, He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be 
glorified. Glorified is synonymous with crucifixion in this context. And Jesus also said that when Judas went out into the night, remember that story? We'll get there. Next chapter. But now is the Son of Man glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And Jesus taught. See, Jesus taught that glory was to come by suffering and power by the way of the cross. Glory comes through suffering and power through the cross. That sounds like nothing from Daniel chapter 7. Well, third, Son of Man offers salvation to all who believe. And Jesus said, do not work for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. Jesus, the Son of Man, offers salvation to all who believe. And then fourth, Son of Man will have final judgment. Jesus said, for just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself, and He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Because He is the Son of Man. And then lastly, Son of Man is head of the church. Son of Man is the head of the church. Revelation 1.9 When John said, I heard a voice and saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus is the head of the church. The Son of Man is the head of the church. Right? So this is who Jesus is claiming, right? This is who Jesus is claiming. This is who we understand to be the Son of Man. But they didn't understand that. They didn't have the New Testament. They understood it in the context of Daniel chapter 7. So, let's come back if you're still with me. Let's come all the way back to the beginning and let's look at these three headings that I put before you this morning. And let's just look at them very, very briefly because those three headings are not necessarily my point this morning. My Son of Man was my point this morning. But I want to look at these three, three headings in the context of what we have said so far in, 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 in uh, verse 27 through, through 28 was let's wrestle or Jesus wrestles with the future. Look at verse 27. If your Bibles are still open, verse 27 says, Now my soul, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled. See, often we say troubled. Well, yeah, of course it's troubled. I mean, Jesus was getting ready to be crucified. He was going to be whipped. He was going to be abused. He was going to be spit upon. A crown of thorns was going to be slammed onto his head. And he was going to be humiliated. Of course he was troubled. Is this what Jesus meant by being troubled? No. No. So often we think that this is what is meant. Well, if that's what Jesus meant, then there's many martyrs that are better than Jesus at dying. Because many martyrs, we got story after story after story of martyrs being led to the stake to be burned while they're singing hymns, while they're praising God, while they're encouraging each other, strengthening each other, glorifying God as they're being led to death. And so Jesus is saying, oh, I can't face the death that is before me. No, that's not at all what Jesus meant. Jesus, Jesus was going to receive 
the wrath of God. That's what was troubling him. Not death, but the wrath of Almighty God was going to come down with its full force for all humanity upon Jesus. That's what he was troubled about. That's what he was experiencing. We have to understand this. Isaiah 53, right? A suffering servant. Wow, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In disgust, Jesus says, may it never be. Right? Save me from this hour? But for this very purpose, I came to this hour. This is why the Son of Man has come. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, sent the Son of Man to be the propitiation. It's, um, it's atonement. It's a, it's a covering. It's a sacrifice. It's an instead of. It's in replace of. For our sins... See, that's what Jesus says. Father, what should I do? Save me from this hour? And in disgust, he said, no. Because it is for this hour that I have come. That I have come. Well, so in this time of wrestling about the wrath of God coming down upon the Son, out of that wrestling comes clarity for Jesus. Look at verses 31 and 32. See, Jesus says, voice came and, and to some commentaries added there. And, and then Jesus says, now, now the judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. See, see, now we can go back to Daniel and we can pull that forward. Daniel chapter 7, verse 26. But the court will sit for judgment. And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler will be cast out. Verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, if I am put upon that cross, I will draw all men to myself. Again, let's go back to Daniel in the 14th verse. And to him and to God and to the Son of Man, it's a capital H, to, to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Might serve him. See, see, out of that wrestling and out of the, you know, Jesus was fully man and fully divine. How do we reconcile that? We can't in our human mind. But as Jesus realized he's come for this hour and he knew the victory that was coming after, after it, an action plan is put into place for you and I. We see it in verse 35 through 36, 36a. And so Jesus said to them, for just a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. Why? So that darkness will not overtake you. 
He who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going, right? So, so in, in, in this verse, in verse 37, Jesus is just putting something before us that's very obvious. Well, we all fully understand the analogy that is being made. And then he comes to verse 36, first half, 36a. While you have the light, believe in the light. Now he's transitioning. So, so believe in the light. Why? So that so that you may become sons of light. See, Jesus is telling them, look, 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 listen, listen, fellas. Come around here, fellas. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be crucified. It's only for so long yet that I'm physically among you. Soak up the light while I am here in a physical way. But to give you a look in the next Sunday, verse 37, comes the almighty but. But, but what? Hey, we're not believing in him. Verse 39. They could not believe in him, and we'll get into that next Sunday. But why? Verse 43. Because they love the approval of man more so than of God. That's why Jesus is saying, listen, I'm only going to be here for a little while longer. Pay attention. What about us? Why do we understand this? Jesus is physically gone. He's left His Spirit here with us. He's left us His Word for us to follow. Right? He's given us the road map. He's given us everything we need to live a faithful life. What about you? Have you accepted the light? Are you walking in this light? You only have so much time left. Jesus physically left every single second of every single day. Someone's light is snuffed out. Someone dies. Someone goes on to eternity. And at that point, the light is no longer available. It's spiritual for us, isn't it? Have you rejected the light? Have you surrendered to this light? Or are you waiting for another time? Jesus says, ah, the light is only available for so long. For so long. What are you waiting for? Well, for for you who have accepted this light, and as you read through, heard the words written or read through Daniel and, and some of the uncertainties that they experienced in 2020, I think we should have a 2020 party and just bury 2020. What do you all think? Right? I mean, that was just a painful time that we're still in, and, and we're weary. We're tired. What about us? Well, I give you the words of Daniel and the words of Jesus. The court will sit for judgment. The ruler of this world has been cast out. We can take strength and encouragement in that. This is why we meet on a Sunday morning. We don't meet on the Sabbath day. We don't meet on Saturdays anymore. We meet on Sunday morning because this is the morning that Jesus rose from the grave. We meet each week to be reminded that the Son of Man stands victorious. And so can you. And so can you. Father, I just thank You for these words. I thank You for Your text for your life. Father, it can be all it can be all so powerful that it overtakes us. We realize and we understand 
Yes, life is difficult. Yes, life is tough. Father, your spirit was troubled so that the way ahead can be paved for us. And we thank you. We thank you for your willing sacrifice on our behalf. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would continue to move among us as we come to the Lord's table this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.